Thank y'all, Sanderfords. Good morning. How y'all doing? Are we doing good today? Well, be prepared. I'm about to ruin it for you. <laughs> That's why you come to church, right? To leave depressed. Well, today we've got uh, kind of a heavy topic to talk about, but it's necessary, and so we're going to dive into it. If you don't know who I am, my name is Chris Brown. I'm the associate pastor here, and I get the wonderful privilege to be able to get to talk with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, or your phones, or your apps, or whatever you got, uh, we are going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3 today. 2 Peter chapter 3 today. Excuse my voice. Um, Friday, uh, we're doing Journey to Bethlehem, and where I'm standing and doing my part, smoke is just blowing right in my face the entire time. So, so my my throat's a little little scratchy. All right, Second Peter chapter three. Can we all stand up together for the reading of God's word? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. It says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today thankful um, that your word gives us insight into who you are and to the reality of the state that we're in. And so, God, I pray as we just take a few moments and dig into your word and talk about you, God, that you would humble us and that you give us insight into what's going on, better depth into who you are, and peace when we can't fully understand what's going on. And so, God, I pray that we would come together as the church and know how to respond in times that we don't understand. God's in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Uh, how many of you were in marching band when you were younger? Yeah, okay. How many of you have at least seen a marching band? Okay, so if you haven't been in a marching band or if you haven't seen a marching band, you, you might be a little, a little confused. But uh, we've all seen, uh, most likely, the band. And, you know, they go out there on the field and they start moving all around and going in different patterns and stuff like that throughout the, the halftime show. Well, when I was in high school, I first got into marching band, and I've done marching band all through high school and all through college. My bachelor's degree was in music, and so I have a lot of experience with marching band. And the first time uh, when I was a freshman that I was uh, in marching band, uh, they give you a little slip of paper. And on the slip of paper are basically coordinates. And so it'll tell you, hey, at this point in the song, you are going to go to the 45-yard line 15 yards from the sideline, and that's where you're going to be. And then at this point in the song, you're going to go to the 35-yard line, five yards from the sideline. That's where you're going to be. And so, you know, new to marching band, you know, I was practicing my parts, and I'm like, this seems 
pointless or <laughs> this seems random like I don't know what's going on and so okay maybe once I put it together with all the other people it'll make a little bit more sense no it didn't uh, you get together with all the other people and like tubas are coming this way trumpets are going this way clarinets aren't even on the field anymore uh, like you don't know what's going on anymore like it just all seems random and chaotic and it wasn't until we went to our first competition that got recorded and we went back and watched the video that all of a sudden I started to see a fuller picture of what was going on. That while on the ground floor where I was, it seemed like there was randomness and chaos. When you got up top, you started to see shapes being formed. And you started to see pictures being made and things like that. In fact, if you've ever been to a marching band rehearsal, you know that the band director very rarely is on the floor with you. 90% of the time, the band director is about 20 feet up in the air on scaffolding, overseeing what's going on on the field and moving and, and making careful tweaks and, and coordination. And, and what I had to learn to do is, as the band member on the floor amidst the seeming chaos, I had to understand that I'm not going to get a full picture of what's going on here, but I have to trust the band director that he is overseeing what's going on here and he's making corrections and I have to trust him whenever he makes a move that that's the right move to make. Well, life can be this way, and uh, recently here, uh, there was a move that was made that I don't understand. There was a move that was made that didn't make sense to me. As likely many of you know, uh, a few weeks ago, a poor little girl, seven-year-old girl named Athena was kidnapped and killed. And as likely as many of you, when I saw that story, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know why that happened, how it happened, and all that. And, and what that can do in our minds when we see stories like that, or stories of bombings, or, or shootings, or anything like that, what it can cause us to do is have a lot of questions. Like questions like, if God is good, why would he allow this to happen? If God is there, then why is evil even in the world to begin with? If God loves us, then why does he allow us to suffer? I think all those are good, reasonable questions to have in that moment. And, and what I want to do is just uh, t two things today. I, I want to, one, just give us a little bit of clarity on this idea of evil and how we can reconcile there being a good God in control in the midst of that evil. And then two, I want to give us a way to respond when we see situations like this. Because a lot of times we, we feel helpless when we see it. We don't know what to do. And so I want to give us a, a response to that. But before we get too deep into this, I, I want to just point out that when we're talking about this idea of the problem of evil, usually it's not an intellectual question that we have. Usually it's more of an emotional question. Like, usually we don't have a hard time squaring that peg in our mind that the presence of evil on this earth doesn't discredit the goodness of God and that he's in control. Like, like if I was to take you and throw you into a closet, shut the door, turn out the lights, and leave you there, that wouldn't cause you to question the very existence of light. Like, it, it may cause you to try to figure out how do I deal with the darkness that I'm in, but you wouldn't throw the concept of light out the door. In fact, um, it's only because of your knowledge and experience with the light that you can understand the depth of the darkness that you're even in. And that's why us as both Christians and non-Christians alike can look at this tragic situation with this girl and all agree and call this evil. 
The reason we can do that is because Romans 2 tells us that God has ingrained his very law onto our hearts. And so whether or not we know him or not, we have a moral compass, if you will, that's guiding us to the light. So the, the very fact that there's evil in this world and that we can call it evil isn't a discredit to God and to God's goodness. In fact, it's, a, it's proof that God's goodness is out there because he's pulling us to him. He's the light that's trying to pull us out of that darkness. We can call it evil because we have knowledge and experience with the light. And so what I want to do today is, as we get into this, to, to just understand that, that, that this likely is probably more of an emotional issue for us than it is an intellectual issue. That we're not figuring out how to explain evil as much as we're trying to figure out how to grieve evil. And so just know this, if that's you today, there's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to make any of this okay. There's nothing that I'm going to say, no verse I can quote to make us okay with what happened because we shouldn't be okay with what happened. And the reason why we're not is because God's not. God's not okay with what happened. Now here you might, you might interject and you might say, hey Chris, if God's not okay with what happened, and if he's not okay with evil, then why does he allow it to exist? Like, you might even push it a little bit further, and you may say, hey, if, if there is a God out there and evil things happen, then one of two scenarios is true. Either one, he is good and unable to do anything about it, making him not in control, or he's uh, in control and doesn't do anything about it, making him immoral. And what I want to pose to you today is that two things can be true at once. You can have God who is good and not okay with what happened, and at the same time, a God who is in control and for whatever reason chose not to intervene in the situation. If I was to give you an, an imperfect um, comparison, I have a daughter who's about three years old now, and about a year ago when she was two, I was watching her play toys with some other kids, and if you have any experience with two-year-olds, they don't quite understand the concept of sharing, right? And so um, my daughter was playing with the toy, and another uh, two-year-old came up and just grabbed the toy away from her. Now, what you would expect in this moment is a lot of crying, screaming, pinching, pulling. Yeah, that actually didn't happen. I sat there and watched my daughter, and as this toy was yanked from her, uh, she didn't scream, she didn't cry, she didn't yell. What she did was she just stood there with the biggest frown on her face, heartbroken. And, and as a dad, I got to watch my daughter heartbroken for one of the first times in her life, which is not fun. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't intervene. I could have. I could have walked over there, snatched that toy back and gave it to my daughter. I could have walked over there and lectured the other kid as to why you shouldn't do that, but I didn't. I just stood by and watched it happen. And it wasn't because I endorsed what was going on, because I didn't. And it wasn't because I couldn't do anything, because I did, or I could have. I stood by and did nothing because I love my daughter. And I know that while she's suffering right now, she's going to suffer a lot more later. And at some point, she's going to have to deal with the suffering because we live in a broken world. And she's going to have to learn to deal with that at some point. And so what I did was I stood by and I watched my daughter heartbroken for her. And I watched my daughter heartbroken that she was going to have to grow up in the reality that there is sin in this world and that she's going to be the byproduct of that at some point. 
And as imperfect of a comparison as that is, what that tells me is that God, to some degree, can both be good and not okay with what happens, and at the same time, for whatever reason, chooses not to intervene in that situation. In fact, we see this happen in the scripture in John 11. Um, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus, and, and Lazarus' family comes to Jesus and says, hey, Lazarus is very sick and he's about to die. And Jesus takes that information and he doesn't go straight to Lazarus, but for whatever reason, keeps doing what he's doing. And a few days later, he goes and visits him, but it's too late. Lazarus has already died. Jesus could have did something, but he didn't, and he had already died. And, and one of the most profound moments in Scripture is he is standing outside the tomb of Lazarus with the family and with friends and other people. And it says this, John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. And so here you have two things being true with Jesus in that moment. One, he could have done something, and for whatever reason, he chose not to. And at the same time, he is heartbroken with them and mourning with them that he had to go through that. God's not okay with sin. God's not okay with evil. God's not okay with suffering. And for whatever reason, at the counsel of his own will, he doesn't always choose to intervene. But that doesn't make him not good. That doesn't make him not God. Now, at this point, you may ask me, you may say, hey, Chris, if he's not okay with evil, if he's not okay with sin, then why did he create a world with evil in it? And, and the simple answer is he didn't. Like, you want to look at the world that God created? Go to Genesis 1 and 2. Like, God created the, the heavens and the earth and the trees and the animals and all these things. And all of it was set up to be a perfect situation for mankind to blossom in and to flourish in. He, he gave Adam and Eve the land and all the animals. And he said, hey, you live in perfect harmony with each other. You work to the glory of God. You have a great life. You can eat from anything. You can live in perfect harmony with me. That's the 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 universe that God created and God intended for us, but then God did this. He said, I'm going to give you the gift of freedom. And he said this, he's like, all of this is yours, but there's this one tree and you just, you can't eat from that tree because when you eat from that tree, the, the, the deeper part of that, when you eat from that tree, you're saying you don't trust me and that you don't want to be with me. And so you can eat from that tree, but know this, that when you eat from that tree, death and destruction is going to enter the world. And that's exactly what happened. They chose that, and because they chose that, their sin caused a fracturing of the whole universe. Uh, psychologist Jordan Peterson says this. He says that, that whenever we um, go against our design purpose, we are bending the fabric of reality. And when you bend the fabric of reality, it's going to have side effects because you can't do that without snapping back and causing side effects off of it. And that's exactly what happened. If uh, you open up your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 3, it says this. God is um, laying out the effects of the sin that they just committed. It says this in 3.17. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. And so we see from this account that because of the decisions that Adam and Eve made— the whole world got fractured all the way down to the smallest molecule, and now things are not operating as they should anymore. So what world did God create? God created a world full of um, 
joy and happiness and freedom and harmony with each other and harmony with God, free of pain, suffering, evil, death, sin. And because of the decisions that we make, we interject sin into that. And when we interject sin, the side effects of that is pain and suffering. That's not what God intended, but that's where we are. Now you may at this point say, if God didn't intend evil to be in the world, then why doesn't he remove it now that it is in the world? And the short answer is, he will. He is going to deal with that. God is a, a holy and a just God. And because he is holy and just, he is not going to allow sin and evil to go unchecked. But, but it doesn't always seem that way to us, right? Like, like we're the band members on the ground. Like it seems like chaos is going rampant. It seems like sin is going unchecked, but it's not. God is going to do something about it. But here's the thing. His timing's not our timing. Right? Like, like he's, he's not on the ground floor with us. He's way up top watching the picture being formed and coordinating the picture to be formed. So there's going to be things that happen that don't make sense to us, but it makes perfect sense to him. And we see this addressed in the, the scriptures when people say, hey, why isn't uh, God doing anything? Why isn't God dealing with sin? Second Peter, the verse that we talked about earlier, is actually addressing this very thing. It says that, that God is going to do something about sin. God is going to do something about evil. And then it kind of goes to answer the question of, well, why isn't it happening? So, so let's pull back up our verse for today. Second Peter chapter 3. It says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. And what that means is this, is that God one day, we don't know when, but one day God is going to come in and he's going to reveal all lawlessness and all evil for what it is and he's going to deal with it. Why doesn't he do it now? Because again, his timing's not our timing. It reveals to us that God is so far above our time and so far above our, like, like where we are right now is that a thousand days that seem to us is like a day to him. And so, like, we may live our 70 years here on earth and wonder, well, God, why aren't you doing anything about this evil? And God is saying, hey, your 70 years that you experience, it's like a snap. I've got a bigger plan in place. And trust me, I'm heartbroken with you in the midst of that evil, but I'm going to do something about it. And it may not be in your lifetime, but it's going to be. And it's going to happen. Now, the bigger, the bigger um, thing to note here is the reason for God's seemingly delay. And it says this in verse 9. It says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so you may ask yourself, why doesn't God do something about evil? Well, he, here's the simple answer. If God was to wipe out evil today, which he could, he would also wipe out every single person who has not placed their faith in him. And he's delaying that moment. Seemingly, he's delaying that moment because he wants all to come into a saving faith with him, giving them as much chance as they can. So while, while God is in his long-suffering patience delaying that wrath and delaying that justice to come forward, know this, there will be a day 
that that patience runs out and he will take care of it. Now here's the beauty of that, is that um, Revelation 21 talks about how uh, God is going to take all sin and all death and he's going to throw into the lake of fire and then after that he's going to turn to those who have placed their faith in Christ and he's going to wipe away every tear. And there's no longer going to be any pain, any suffering, any sin, any evil in the world. He's going to deal with it. Here's a fun read for you if you, if you want. Go, go read the first two chapters of Genesis 1 and 2 and then go read Revelation 21. There's lots of correlations there. And what that tells us is this, is that God, God is not abandoning his original intent in creating us to live in perfect harmony with each other and perfect harmony with him. While sin has derailed that, he is a God that's in control and he's going to pull it back to what it is. And in Revelation 21, when everything is dealt with, he's going to reestablish and redeem the world to operate the way that he designed us to operate. We're going to live in perfect harmony with each other, perfect harmony with him, free of sin and free of pain and free of suffering and free of evil. So God is going to do something. God is going to take care of this. And, and what I want to do is, is as we try to figure out how to grieve evil when situations like this happen, and we try to emotionally wrap our minds around how this can happen, why this can happen, and, and grieve it, be encouraged that God is right next to us grieving the exact same thing and that one day he's going to make it right. And one day he is going to do something about that. But today, what, what do we do? What do we do today? We read stories like that, which I don't know about y'all, but when stories like that um, come across uh, my computer or my phone, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even like clicking on them. Every time I see a headline about a shooting or a headline about bombing or a killing or things like that, I tend not to even investigate it because I, honestly, I don't want to know. Because like, like you, I, I just feel helpless in that moment. What do I do? What do I do with this? And I, so I want to give us a way to respond whenever we see things like this. And, and I think our best response in that moment when we feel helpless, in that moment when, when we don't know what's going on around us, I think our best response is prayer. And so what I want to do is just real briefly just give you four things to pray for whenever we see things like this. So the first thing I think that we should pray for is that we should pray for peace for the people involved. So like in this situation where a little girl was taken and they didn't know where she was and then later found out that she tragically was murdered. <laughs> that family, I can only imagine what they're going through. Like the chaos of that. Like they don't know what's going on around them and likely they're going to spend the next 10 years of their life trying to make sense of what's going on. And I think the best thing we can do for them in that moment is just pray for them. Pray that they're going to have peace. Philippians 4 says this, is that, that whenever we take all of our anxieties and give them to God with thanksgiving in our heart, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be with us. And so that's one of the things I pray for. When I see situations like this, I just pray for the peace of God to be with them in that moment. And they can be having chaos going on around them, not knowing what's going on or what's going on and where do they go from here. But, but what this verse tells me is that underneath all of that chaos, there can be a peace. It doesn't make it okay what happened, but there can be a peace knowing that God is good, that he's in control, and that he's for us. And I tell you, when you have peace like that, it doesn't make sense. 
Like the world looks on that and when, when our whole life should be shattering apart and we are able to lean on the goodness of God, the world doesn't understand that. And here's why, because it's not from the world. It's from God. And so that's one of the main things we can pray for. The first thing that we pray for is pray for peace for the people involved. The second thing that we should pray for is justice for the victims. I don't think it's a bad thing at all to pray for justice. In fact, if you read all through the Psalms, there's many times in the Psalms that David is praying for justice against wickedness and evil. So I don't think it's bad at all for us to pray for that, that justice will be had. Because again, God is a God of holiness and God of justice. Now here's the caveat that I want to throw in, is that while I think we should pray for justice for the victims, we need to recognize at the same time that we are not the arbiters of justice. We are not the ones who decide what justice is. When we pray for justice, what we're doing is we're offloading that responsibility to God and saying, God, you are above all and in control and overall, and you are going to be the one to enact justice. You are going to be the one to determine how to handle this. Jesus in uh, Matthew 5 uh, says this, and a lot of you probably know this passage. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. You know, kind of you know, a, a justice kind of situation. He says, but I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now here's what I think Jesus wasn't doing in that moment. I don't think Jesus was saying justice is a bad thing. We need to eliminate justice and we just have love and hippie and you know, tree hugging all day. I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. I think what Jesus was getting at is that you have a role and God has a role. And God's role is to enact justice. Your role is not to do eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Your role is to love, pray for, and forgive your enemies. And that actually leads us to the third thing to pray for. While we should pray for justice for the victims, we should also pray for grace for the offenders. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is the hardest one for me and probably going to be the hardest one for you. Like, like I can intellectually wrap my mind around the idea that this guy who killed this girl deserves grace and uh, would come to repentance and, and place his faith in Jesus. Intellectually, I can wrap my mind around that. But if I'm being honest with you, in my heart of hearts, I don't want that for him. In my heart of hearts, I, I don't want him to receive grace. I don't want him to receive repentance. I don't want him to receive forgiveness. But I have to remind myself that while I haven't committed an egregious sin that tragically took the life of a little girl, I have rejected God. And I have sinned against God. And I do stand condemned before God, absent the work and forgiveness of Jesus. And so while in my heart of hearts, I don't want grace and forgiveness for this guy, the gospel compels me to want grace and forgiveness for this guy. And so I pray for that. I pray that he might be convicted and come into repentance and place his faith in Jesus should justice take place? Absolutely. But should we also desire grace for the man for him to come to know Christ? Absolutely. Why? Because God does not desire any to perish, even our enemies, even the ones we don't like. And then the last thing that we should pray for is we should pray for God to come back and end this mess. We should pray for God to come redeem this world. Like we talked about earlier, God is going to do something about sin. Uh, we don't know when it is, but I don't think it's a bad thing to pray for him to come do it now, right? I've only, I'm only 32 years old, but there's been multiple times in my life that I'm like, God, can you just come stop this? 
please. Like, in fact, I would say, if you haven't prayed for, for Jesus to come back, then, then one of two things is true. Either uh, you do not know the depth to which the world is broken, or you do not know the extent to which God will put it all back together. And so we pray for the redemption of the world, that God will come, restore all this, and make it right to the way that he intended it. So how do we respond in these awful situations? We pray. And what do we pray for? We pray peace for the people involved. We pray justice for the victims. We pray grace for the offenders. And we pray redemption for the world. We're going to do something a little bit different today for invitation time. Uh, Phil, you can go ahead and come up here. Again, likely, uh, you're probably like me in that when you read that story, you didn't know what to do. And, and what I want to do is just take some time as a church uh, to just pray for this situation. And so we're not going to sing, but Phil uh, is going to play uh, behind us. Uh, and we just want to give you an opportunity just to sit and pray. Pray for these things. Pray for the families. Pray that God would um, uh, enlighten the eyes of the guy who committed this, that he might come to repentance. We're just going to give you this time. So however you want to do it, you can do so. The altar's open. You can come up here. You can pray in your seat. You can grab someone else and pray with them. Uh, Pastor Lee's going to stand right here. I'm going to stand right here. If you want someone to pray with, we can do that. Maybe you're a person that, man, you have a hard time reconciling evil and a good God together. And you just need to approach God and just say, hey, God, help me understand this. Help me trust you when I don't understand. Help me know that you are good and that you are above it all. And that, that while it, may, it doesn't make sense to me, you are making sure that it's going to all come together in the end. However God is, is leading you and however God is convicting you to pray, man, we just encourage you to do that. We're going to have a few moments here. So let's take this time.